Women's K Talk YA now presents Never Night Part 1 by Jay Kristoff. back to M&K Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we started a brand new series. This is a trilogy by Jay Kristoff and it's called Nevernight. And we read uh, the first half of the first book. Well, we read up to chapter 19, which is called The Masquerade. So if you haven't read up to chapter 19, please turn this podcast off and go read. <laughs> Because we're going to spoil some things. Or, or turn a different episode on. No. Yeah. <laughs> Please go away. <laughs> we don't want you here. Leave us alone. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, come back when you catch up. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things, a lot of things happening. Yeah, and I read a little bit about Jay Kristoff, too, because we read his series that he co-wrote with Amy Kaufman, which is called The Illuminae Files. Mm-hmm. And you raised the question last week, um, are we going to see a big difference from that series? Because he's writing this this series solo, and we were curious to see how that would kind of pan out. And boy, is it different. So different. <laughs> yeah, I also read a little bit about him, but I was doing that thing I always do when I start reading about authors when we're at the beginning of a series, and I kept, like, trying not to spoil things for myself. And, like, so if they mm-hmm. asked a question, I was like, I don't know if he's going to give an answer that is going to ruin something. I like So I read, like, a couple things from several different articles, and it's sort of all over the place, but... Me too. I it was just on his blog, essentially, which is actually really funny. I started following him on Instagram, too. He, like, interacts with his fans a lot, I heard, so... That's cool. Yes, he does. Um, I'm always so nervous to message people, though. Me too. I don't know I'm why. such a fangirl. I'm like... <laughs> I know. It's like... Uh, I I feel like I overthink messages there more than I did like when I was online dating, which I feel like impacts my life more, <laughs> but I... Totally. <laughs> Anyways. But yeah. Just feels like a bigger risk for some reason. <laughs> what if they don't like me? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Illumini Files was sci-fi. This is fantasy. Uh, the whole style of the book is obviously completely different, but they're both pretty unique, I would say. Um, I know we talked a lot about Illumini Files when we were reading it, but that was essentially like a file collected for a, or a series of files collected for a, like, legal investigation or whatever, and so that was pretty unique, and this one is not like that at all, and it's got tons of postscripts and flashbacks and parallel stories. Like, there's a lot going on just in the style of storytelling, here. Yeah. And it definitely feels a lot more adult. Um, yes. It does have a YA tag on Goodreads, but um, in his blog, Jay Kristoff was saying that, you know, this book is a lot more adult. You know, there it does involve a 16-year-old girl. Does that automatically make it YA? Not really. Um, so he described mm-hmm. it more of a crossover series, so kind of more new mm-hmm. adult, which I think we've read a few books that I would say definitely fall under the category of new adult. Um, but yeah, it's like, there's lots of sex, there's the C word, there's like people getting killed very brutally. Um, Yeah, graphically. Very graphically, yeah. I mean, (laughs) the very first line of the whole book, 
which I guess doesn't necessarily mean it's graphic, but it starts with people often shit themselves when they die. And that's like <laughs> setting the tone for everything, I think. <laughs> Maybe we're finally going to get to use that explicit tag that we have on iTunes that we can't figure out how to take off, but we never swear. We can finally make use of it. <laughs> but yeah, I also read he had like a whole, I think he, um, is almost frustrated with the YA tag in general a little Mm -hmm. bit. So he talked about how there really aren't rules for even making a book YA. Like, in general, you say if the main character is a teenager, but a lot of times you'll have a teenage main character that definitely isn't YA. And then he said the only other rule is that the publisher decides it's YA. And he, (laughs) like, was talking about uh, The Hunger Games. He was talking about it wasn't really a coming-of-age book because Katniss didn't uh, change her views about herself or her government or the system she was living in, like, at all. She was already the caregiver of her family. Like, that wasn't... She didn't come of age, necessarily. She, like, grew and changed in different ways, but it wasn't a coming-of-age story. And similarly, he used the example of Katniss and said she wasn't dealing with typical teen issues either, but that's considered YA. So it is just... Yeah. It's sort of this, you know, the line. It's, it's He ended murky. it with, like, read whatever you want. Like... <laughs> If you like it, read it. I love that advice. I really do. And I think we'd be limited if we tried to just read stuff that was only YA, officially YA, quote unquote, on this podcast. So, and I've wanted to read this series for forever because I, I, it looked a little bit darker just from the cover and reading the back and, you know, I love dark and disturbing things. Yes. So this book, I have to say, has been my favorite book that we've read this season so far. Oh man, that's a bold statement for the first half of the first book too i know you better not have jinxed us <laughs> just kidding. um yeah i just i love how different it is so like you said it's a very different style of book let's talk about that first okay well i just want to say one more thing about this book versus the illuminati files oh yeah i also read something where they were talking about like who's the good good cop bad cop or good writer bad writer and when they were when he was working with amy kaufman and mm-hmm. the interviewer was basically like, well, I've read Nevernight, so I assume you were the one who had all the dark, terrible ideas kind of thing. <laughs> and she was like the light, cheery one. And he was like, actually, surprisingly, not always. But I just thought that was funny. Anyways, yeah. What do you think about the style of the book? So first off, the footnotes. Mm-hmm. So I just read uh, The Ruin of Kings by Jen Lyons. Okay. I don't think I know that one. It has footnotes. And I'm just really torn on footnotes because I feel like... In some ways, they're a little bit lazy. Like, why can't you just fit everything in the actual story that you want to include? But on the other hand, it is a good way to get more world building into a book Mm -hmm. and just to give little kind of antidotes that flesh out the story a little bit more, flesh out the world, the history. Because, I mean, he put so much work into, like, building a world around this series, which I find amazing. Yep. But... Some of the footnotes I felt were really interesting, like the one where you learn about the origin of like that hand gesture that she means, where it's like she threw she throws the ball, no, not balls, the knuckles. Yes, she like throws the knuckles, which I really loved. But then there's some that I'm just like, this really gave nothing to my reading experience, so why even include it? Yeah. I think I agree. I'm very torn on them in general, like not even just for this book. Like usually I find them kind of almost distracting from the story, especially because I like I'm always torn between like, do I read it right when it shows up? Mm -hmm. Like if it's in the middle of a sentence, do I go down and read it? And a lot of times I see it in nonfiction too, which Mm -hmm. I'm always like, 
how interested am I in the topic to know all the background or side story, you know, whatever. Um, so I haven't read it that much in fiction work. And I do think it adds a lot to the world building aspect, but I still find it like brings me out of the actual story a little bit. And I, I think it took me a while to get used to it, but now that I'm more used to it, it's not bothering me as much. Or maybe they've gotten more interesting. I don't know. Yeah. But I feel like at first I was like really like, ugh. I know, now me too. I'm, I'm not feeling that way as much. That's exactly how I'm feeling. Like at first I wasn't thrilled about it and... Uh, you're right it is jarring to like be in the middle of a really cool scene and then you're like learning about some history of a king and his wife and I'm just you know some are better than others I would say and then but then at the same time because like we both mentioned it does add especially in these fantasy worlds add so much to get an idea for the history and the Mm -hmm. religion and the you know how the sons work or whatever and I sort of wish we had them in some other books that I wanted just some of those background side story like I was just thinking about three dark crowns if we had a few Mm. footnotes if it would have added like just enough explanation that would have made sense but in general I'm glad we don't have them in every book but there is something nice about it and the other thing I like about it is and it's kind of the whole story in general the narrator I'm like so curious about and I like how the footnote narrator is like the same I don't know it feels like someone like telling a story and Mm -hmm. I feel like they're connected to the story or at least connected to Mia but I don't know how or why or what's prompting them to tell the story or where they fit into the story yet and so I do like that aspect I feel like it's someone with a personality instead of just random third person background I don't know okay so here's my theory on who the narrator is okay I think it's Mr. Kindly. I think it's her shadow cat. Oh, interesting. Poor Captain Puddles. <laughs> I don't know. That's just my theory because it does seem like he is very connected to her. Well, and it's interesting because I fe- I was trying to think because it said something like I w- didn't early on it say something like I loved her, but it didn't say necessarily romantic love, right? Yeah. So I kept being like, who's going to fall in love with her? Who knows her through this whole period? But you're right. They don't do anything back before the furthest back scene we've seen so far chronologically would be when her mother's oh no I guess it would be when she saw her father die yes and I don't know that the shadow was there necessarily no no not yet but he was there for every other scene that we've seen yeah with Mia literally in her shadow (laughs) never alone yeah oh that's a good I like that theory because I really didn't have a good theory yet I was kind of thinking it might be someone we haven't met um the other thing I really like about this book is I loved the way it opened with the chapters alternating and it was like the same description of something but a different Mm -hmm. situation so one chapter was the main character having sex with a guy for the first time Mm -hmm. and then the other chapter was of her stabbing and killing the hangman who killed her father and like committing her first murder Mm -hmm. um and I loved that like it was a little hard to like orient myself and to figure out what was happening but once I did I was like oh that's awesome and then I was a little scared that the entire book would be like that yes so I'm glad it wasn't but I really liked the way it started I agree I think that parallel was super interesting I'm glad that it didn't do the entire book that way (laughs) but I also I think it's just so interesting because I feel like every part or like it keeps changing the style it still feels like the Mm -hmm. same storyteller but it does kind of feel like someone dabbling in like multiple ways of telling because there was something else that they were doing oh and then there was another part where they kept flashing back like at the beginning of the chapter would talk about you know when she left her family and ran or you know yeah the italic chapters yeah 
And then that kind of went away. So it's just, it is sort of interesting. I feel like we've gone through like two or three kind of storytelling structures Mm -hmm. and they've all worked, but I'm curious how many more we're going to get throughout the course of the series. Me too. And and I'm glad that we like have lost the flashbacks at this point. Like we're pretty much caught up to the present time because Mm -hmm. in the Rune of Kings that I was talking about, it alternates between the present time and like stuff that happened four years ago five years ago Mm -hmm. um and it was like that for the entire book and then at the end the two timelines finally converge and it was too it was way too much to follow oh wow um so why don't we talk about the main character okay mia our little assassin in training yeah this girl is a badass yeah, it's interesting. I like how she's not, even though you understand how she got to this point, I don't necessarily think she's in the right yet. <laughs> Does that make sense? Is it because you don't buy her her motivation? No, like I buy, I, I just, like I'm not convinced she's a good guy. Like I, I thought when we were going into this mm. that it would be like, oh, the revolutionaries, they're overturning this corrupt system and she's like defending justice. Like I understand, it's like kind of selfish motivation and I understand it, but... I'm not, like, convinced that she's, like, doing the right thing. And maybe she is. We don't know that much about, like, why her dad, if he was just, like, power hungry or if he, like, had a good motivation for overturning the government or or what. I feel like we haven't really gotten that piece yet. But it feels like her motivation is kind of selfish, which isn't bad, but I don't know. That's a good point, too, because we just know that, like, it opens up with her seeing her father hanged as a traitor Mm -hmm. with some other senators and we know that he was part of the Illuminati. Is that the, like, army group? Yeah. So, like, Julius yep. was the captain, and he is the one who came yep. to imprison her mother in the Philosopher's Stone. And we know that her father, like, allied himself with Antonius, General Antonius. And her dad wanted to overthrow the Senate. Yeah, and we know that they're, like, very anti-king here. So part of me right. almost, like, I, again, the guy who, like, arrested her mother and tried to have her killed, I don't think is a good guy either. But I'm not convinced that the system they were trying to overthrow was, like, so corrupt and her dad was, yeah. like, some great and, like, guy. to be overthrown. Yeah. So that's just kind of interesting because I do feel for her and I think her motivation is true. Like, I buy that this 10-year-old who watched her dad hang and her you know, all the stuff that happened to her would want revenge, mm-hmm. but I'm not like, it's, it's not like the hero story that we're used to. Right. Yeah. We mm-hmm. don't, we don't know the, the system that she's trying to overthrow. We don't know anything about it. So for all we know, it could have been a perfectly good system. And <laughs> well, and she's not even necessarily trying to overthrow it. She's just trying to get revenge. So even totally. if her dad was in the right, it doesn't seem like she wants to carry on his mission as much as she just wants to kill the people who murdered him. Right. And now, I mean, she has allied herself with this red church, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And the Illuminati are dedicated to like rooting out the red church. And, like, the mythology around this whole world is also interesting because they have the three sons, so it's almost, like, that's the whole title, right? It's never night, or, you know, it's, like, light all day, every day for the most part, except for a little bit of time, what was it, like, every three years or every two years or something like that? Yeah, they have true dark. Yeah. And and then when you get the magic aspect in it, too, because she can, like, control shadows, (laughs) I feel like it's a really interesting world that he's built and I am enjoying learning about it even though it's mm-hmm. I don't feel like I super know it well yet but it's it's cool it's very cool and, and like speaking of like the world building we have like the gods uh what were they ma a a ah I don't know how you pronounce that yeah 
I don't know how to pronounce but any of them. It's the same god. It's like the god Ma is also known as Ah. <laughs> and then there's Nia, who was his wife, and that was that's the lady of blessed murder. So that's the one that Mia serves now, I yeah. believe. And she had three daughters who are like now goddesses yeah. too. And then she had a son, which is why the husband like turned on her and why you like aren't supposed to worship her, her and why it's dark so rarely and all this stuff. So it's, it is kind of interesting the way uh, both the, the world is built in the sense that there's three sons and how he built out the mythology around the three sons and the like the religion of the the red church and all this stuff is just kind of cool. I agree. And and also like I also love that she that there is this magic that she is what is called a darken. Yeah, I have so many questions about it. Mm-hmm. I know. Like she has this cat shadow and it's like a pretty strong power. Like at first I thought it was just like this companion that kind of followed her, but then we learned that it actually eats her fear. So, like, she doesn't feel fear when the shadow's around. Which is such a cool magic yeah. tidbit, too. Yeah. That's great. But then we learned about the True Dark Massacre, which which was when a bunch of Darken killed a ton of Illuminati. So the Illuminati, like, swore to get revenge on the Darken and the Red Church. So there's this, like, whole political play going on where there's like lots of alliances and lots of people trying to bring down certain factions and it's it's like very twisty but I'm I'm excited to learn more because we don't really know I don't feel like we know the full picture yet like you said but yeah. I'm I'm very curious it's, the book did a good job of like sparking my curiosity and I know we've talked about sometimes being tired of that kind of typical trope of like let's overthrow the world with this like young teenage heroine or whatever and I feel like even if she does overthrow the government she's just different from that because she's not like noble necessarily I don't know how to explain it she's an anti-hero yeah yeah I love that and she's got a friend she's got or she's starting to make some friends I guess yeah do you want to talk about the acolytes so Mm -hmm. they go to the red church I guess and Trick is the first acolyte she meets, mm-hmm. and she meets him when they're trying to find the red church and like pay their tithe of like body parts of the first person they killed, which is like such to a- prove they killed somebody. Yeah, I just that was a neat little piece. Um, so she comes with a bag of teeth. I also thought, can you imagine? Because she had to pull out all of the teeth. <laughs> Not which easy, is I'm sure. Just crazy. But then, but they all brought like slightly different body parts, didn't they? To prove yeah. it, which is also just kind of interesting. So gross. Like, could you imagine, like, just carrying around someone's heart for, like, three months? Like... No. <laughs> I can't even imagine yanking out someone's tooth when they're dead. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I love how we had, like, a whole lot of stuff happen even before they met the Red Church. Like... That's true. They have this whole test before they even get accepted where, like, they get attacked by a sand kraken and they meet... This woman, Neve, who serves in the house of the Lady of Blessed Murder. It, it was it was like an action-packed book, even like before we get to the main portion of it. So I was into that. Yeah, no, I agree. And it helped build out our character. And especially that was when they were doing the flashbacks somewhat too. Yeah. So it like, I felt like it didn't feel slow. Sometimes when we're trying to establish things, even when I know that's what's going on, it feels really slow. I felt like the pacing was still really good where I was interested and curious about stuff. But I kind of forgot now that there was like, yeah, a lot happened before we even got yeah. to the Red Church. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. 
And there are 30 other acolytes, and we learned that four are going to become blades, assassins, and the yep. rest are going to be hands who keep the house in order. So who are our acolytes? Oh my goodness, I'm not even going to remember their names, but we have <laughs> one teaching pickpocketing. Oh no, I met the, the students, not the teachers. <laughs> oh, the oh the students. Oh, right, We have right. like Jessamine. Yeah. Yeah, she's... And, and Jessamine's interesting because she's the daughter of one of Mia's father's centurions, if you remember. Yeah, so she blames her family for why her dad died. Yeah, her brother and father were killed by... Well, who was it? Justicus Remus, who's like one of the mm-hmm. people Mia's out for revenge against. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of like bonding over that, Jessamine hates Mia because her father, she called her father a traitor. And I guess her father was the reason that her brother and father were killed. So yeah, because I think they followed her father because they were like in his army or whatever. Yeah. Like they were just following orders. But then obviously when he got caught as a traitor, they like crucified everyone or something so so not a great start for a friendship nope but we have started to make some other friends yep like ashlyn is that the girl's name ash yep ashlyn in ostrilk that's her brother yes it's so bad i mean you know how terrible i am with names so (laughs) i'm just like oh there's the girl who's friends with her and the girl who hates her yep (laughs) and then we have carlotta who we know is an escaped slave oh yeah who also knows her poisons yes 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 and then we have Hush, who is mute. Oh, yeah. And that was right at right at the end. So Hush has a backstory that we haven't learned much about yet, but I'm very curious for. Oh, my gosh. He is so creepy. Yeah. Oh, my and God. And how he's always, like, stalking around. And, like, that last scene where we read up to where he's, like, caught after hours and they do, like, the blood scourging and he has no teeth. That was creepy. Oh my gosh, it sounds terrible. That was an awful scene. That punishment Ooh. too. That would de- I would definitely not go out after curfew. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll just read in bed. What else is I'll there? just watch Netflix in bed. <laughs> um. Okay. Do you want to talk about the teachers then? Okay. Yes. You started. It. Yeah. Go ahead. So, we basically the current blades, right? That's what they are. The teachers. Mm-hmm. And one is teaching them the art of like fighting, and he's this old blind guy who does not like being <laughs> taken advantage of. So when so Mia soulless. uses her darkened powers to like kind of cheat a little bit because she holds his feet to the ground or whatever, he chops her arm off. That was insane. That was so shocking. And I love how the chapter just ended. <laughs> and then he cut her arm off at the shoulder or something like that. Oh my goodness. And of course she's like, oh, like it took a couple tr- like swings. Like, oh my goodness. Oh, Can God. you imagine like your first day of school? Like, to be fair, you're learning to be an assassin, <laughs> but you think like you're a meeting with this teacher and you're like feeling pretty clever and then your arm gets chopped <laughs> off. Yeah, it's a little bit harsher than just like being sent to the principal's office or getting detention. <laughs> How was your first day of school, honey? <laughs> But that's where we also learn, because her arm basically gets, like, woven back on, I guess you would say, because we meet the weaver and yeah. the speaker. Mariel and Adonai? Yep. And they are... They're sorcerers. Yeah, like, back in this old magic that they thought was dead, the woman can, like, remake people's faces and rebuild their body. Like, basically, she works with the flesh, but every time she does something for someone else, she gets uglier? Is that the thought? Yeah. The arts come with a price, they say. So she has mastery over all flesh except her own, which is, like, so ironic. It's so darkly ironic. Mm-hmm. Like, 
I'm kind of curious how these siblings ended up working for the Red Church. Like, I don't feel like it's super clear why they're so loyal yet. Yeah, that's a good question. But I think it probably has something to do with if the if this sorcery magic has been, like, stamped out elsewhere in the world. Maybe this is one of the few places where they're, like, accepted or something like that. But I'm curious about their backstory. I am, too. And I'm also curious about why Marielle is so uh, possessive about her brother. Because we... Mm-hmm. There was that interesting scene where Neve is, like, almost killed by a sand kraken. And they're in, like, Mia and Trick are debating whether or not to kill her and put her out of her misery. And she's like, don't do that. Mm-hmm. And Marielle saves her. Yep. But then we learn that Neve's face was disfigured because she fell in love with Marielle's brother and Marielle attacked her. Because there's one point where Mia was like, what happened to your face? And she was like, love. And so I'm just like, what is going on between these brothers and sisters where like her sister, his sister reacted that way yeah. just because he fell in love? I wanted to learn more about that. I agree. And then, yeah, so the brother. So what can, how do we describe his power? I don't even feel like I fully get it. So Ad and I can you can do the blood walking is that what that's called send people yeah you can like send people the blood walk yeah he just like soaks the acolytes in blood so and he can move them from place to place it's a cool it's almost like teleporting a little messier but it's so gross though although i did <laughs> one of the um footnotes was about pigs because they show it when they do the blood walk back to the capital or whatever they could go through the porkery but i it made me, like, really curious about pigs, so I did look up some random fun facts about pigs, and they're fascinating oh. animals, and I did not know that. <laughs> okay. Um, do you want to talk about that now, or do we want to finish talking about the teachers? I'm just going to tell you a couple of things, because this wasn't even my real research. <laughs> so, okay, pigs are the third smartest animal, basically. Like, only Whoa. apes and dolphins are smarter than them, and they're essentially smarter than children up to age three. Like they're as smart as a two, they're smarter than your two-year-old. I believe that they can run a seven-minute mile. Okay, that's fast. They're louder than a louder than a jet engine, which I think we've talked about before. What? Oh yeah, because the pigs were. We learned about yeah, that, and the, they were used. They're to used more. to more yeah, yeah. Yeah. pigs. Um, and even though there's a lot of like sayings about how messy pigs are they actually will like form their own communal bathroom left to their mm. own devices so they like will go to the bathroom separately from where they eat and sleep and all of that but they are the yeah. most consumed animal protein in the whole world in the whole world yeah whoa even more than chicken i guess i don't know wow. why that is necessarily but according to the article i read 40 percent of all animal meat protein consumed worldwide 34% is poultry and 21% is beef, but 40% is pork. Whoa. I mean, bacon is pretty good. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I think that was another, like, fun fact. It was just, like, bacon is awesome. <laughs> but that kind of sucks that they're so smart and we eat them. I know. I kind of felt bad. Like, you would never consider eating a dolphin or an ape. No. At least not in the United States. And, like, they're smarter than a dog. Ooh. And you can, like, they're, they're like, kind of a, a common pet in part for people who are because they like don't shed because they have hair and you can like train them and teach them to use a litter box and like all this stuff because they're actually really really smart aren't there pigs that are trained as like seeing eye pigs or like service animals i wouldn't be surprised again i didn't like super research them but i just i like got onto this list and i was like whoa and then i'd read one more thing and i'd be like whoa (laughs) well speaking of animals we have lord cassius who is the the only other Darkin. Only other Darkin. And he's like the Prince Lord of Blades, right hand of the mother, leader of them all. Um, and he has not a pig as his Darkin, but... Way better. So much better. Uh, 
I know. <laughs> Eclipse! That's such a great name for a wolf. Oh, and I love wolves, so I'm excited for that. <laughs> Although I am, well, maybe he's just a stronger, but I have so many questions about this dark and magic, especially because mm-hmm. Mia doesn't really know much about it either. But, like, she has a cat and he has a wolf. Will her cat, like, become a more powerful animal or does it just become what it starts as? Or is, you know, mm. like, I'm just kind of curious about that. Like, if it's because she's young and new to magic that hers is, like, smaller than a wolf? Yeah, or does if... it grow with her power? I don't know. Is it kind of like a Patronus? I don't, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, okay, so we have Lord Cassius. We also have... The pickpocket guy. I forget. Oh, yeah. Mouser? Oh, Mouser, yes. He's the one teaching them about thievery. And I like how they all have, um, like, a test that they give the athletes. Oh, yeah. That is cool. So his was like, you have to steal things without getting caught. And you get points based on what they are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, like, the the one that's worth the most marks is the key, the the revered mother's key, Drizella. She's not teaching anything, right? I don't think so. I think she's just she's just kind of like Lord Cassius. Except, like, nicer and present. <laughs> I don't know if she's nicer. She's the one who ordered that blood scourging. That's true. I just feel like, I guess we just don't know him. But I feel like yeah. he, he deals with external affairs and she deals with internal affairs. <laughs> okay, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That could be wrong, but that's how I interpret it. <laughs> And I loved, speaking of the test, though, Spider Kill or whatever the poison teacher's name was, I love her test. Because it's a poison, and to win, you have to make an, you have to identify the anecdote. But in order, like, if you think, you can't just, like, try random stuff, because you have to, like, take the poison and then try your own anecdote, and hopefully it works. Yeah. So you have to be pretty sure. super confident. Especially because she's let people die before. I know! Like, three people die in her first class. It's crazy. (laughs) And how does how is it that like Carlotta and Mia are the only ones who know how to like figure out the an- anecdote? Yeah, I don't know if it, I don't know how obscure that first poison was, but thank God. <laughs> um, the other one that we learn of, and I don't know how I feel about this T-shirt, Ayla. Oh yeah, she's the one who's like the master of masks, and she teaches essentially the art of sex and how like beauty and love can be weapons and i i didn't like that part when she works with the weaver to like give all the acolytes more beautiful bodies and i don't know i was just like well i could have done without like oh now me is beautiful and has big luscious boobs and now she can like manipulate people to get her way because she's beautiful i was just like eh, could have done without that it was interesting because they kind of talked about how you needed to be pretty but not too pretty to blend in yeah which was an interesting concept, but we didn't have, like, I was kind of hoping there'd be a different character who, like, became less pretty as a, like, you know, if they were going to sell oh, this idea of, like, but they didn't really do that. To your no. point, they just kind of, everyone kind of got better looking. <laughs> and small boobs can be pretty. Yeah, well, and <laughs> Excuse that. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely that, too. But. Yeah, I don't know. I was just like, eh, okay. And, and I kind of felt like Trick, like, Trick got really pissed when she came back and she, like, had a new face and he was just like, ugh. Really? I liked you the way you were. Well, and it I agree. I didn't necessarily love the execution, but I love this whole idea about, you know, how much of your identity is how you look versus what's... You know how they were, like, telling her to look at her face one last time and this Mm. idea of, like, changing how you... Like, I'm curious to see how it continues to play out. I agree that I'm not, like, thrilled with the first round of execution, but it's, like, a very interesting concept to be exploring in the realm of this other stuff, too, because it also has to do with just... Um, it's not even just like 
physical appearance, but it's how do you like charm people and how do you like get people yeah. to trust you and manipulate them. And like that part, I think is also an interesting piece of this. Like instead of like beating out the truth from someone, get them to share their secrets. And like mm-hmm. that is interesting to me. Agreed. And I do like her test, like the whole thing where someone must bring her a secret from the God's grave. Oh yeah. And like whoever brings the best secret wins. I was hoping we'd start to hear a few of them. I know. Mm-hmm. We didn't get that, but we did get, um, they take them to God's grave to, like, try and find secrets, whatever. And, oh my gosh, there was that awful scene where Mia's captured by the people who are in charge of, like, rooting out heresy in the Republic, and they're, like, trying to figure out, they're trying mm-hmm. to, like, locate the people who worship the Mother of the Night, and they, like, mm-hmm. torture her for hours trying to get her to confess that she's part of the Red Church, and then we learned that it was all just a test of her loyalty. It was. But it also, I, like, love it. I, like, love villains who are, like, really good yeah. villains, kind of, or something. I don't know. So I like that, like, first of all, not every person passed it. And it was terrible, but in some ways, I guess if you're going to reveal these secrets and, like, lives depend on yeah. it, you do have to know how far you can trust somebody. True. But it was intense. It was a brutal initiation. <laughs> And I keep remembering that these are, like, kids. I know, you know? I know. <laughs> and at the end, only, like, Mia, Ashlyn, Carlotta, Jessamine, Hush, and maybe a few others don't crack under the torture. So, like, a lot of people broke. Yeah. only I think it was four girls and seven guys came back. Wow. That's insane. So, it might not even... It might... I'm like, how many hands are there going to be? I feel like only four people are going to survive this I know. Whole thing. <laughs> for real. I mean, okay. Here's my prediction. Okay. I think... Mia and oh, oh well I don't know okay I think Mia's gonna be a blade I think how does she become a blade do you think she wins one of the four contests yeah I think Jessamine becomes a blade I don't know if Trick is <sighs> I don't know I almost think maybe Mia doesn't become a blade and something happens to a blade and then she gets promoted mm. or she decides to kill the men that she has revenge against even if she's not a blade. Maybe she, like, yeah, breaks the rules. I still think she's going to become a blade. I kind of feel like she probably will, but I thought it would be interesting if, like, because I think her best shot is the poison, right? But we also, it's not like she's the clear leader. Like, Carlotta could win the poison contest. I think she's going to steal the Blessed Mother Drusilla's key. I think Hush is going to get that. Ooh. Just because, or I think he's going to win that contest. Maybe he doesn't get the key, but he gets enough other stuff or something. Because he's always out, up to no good. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she'll be a blade. But again, we only get four, and I feel like we have more than four people, so I'm so curious about who doesn't make it. I'm so curious to learn more about Hush. I think he's the athlete that I'm, like, most fascinated by. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. And I just really want to know what happens next. Like, I want to keep reading. That's a good sign. Yes, for sure. I mean, I think so far, it. I was a little wary going into it when I saw all the footnotes, and, like, it just started out, like, a lot Mm -hmm. thrown at you but I actually feel like the pacing of like how he revealed certain things about the world was like pretty well done you just kind of had to hang in there for the ride and then it's like really starting to fall into place now though yeah and it actually didn't bother me as long as I thought it would Mm. like like sometimes it takes me like you know I have to like really work through the first hundred pages I feel like even if I didn't love everything about it I was intrigued enough pretty early on to keep working like I didn't feel Mm -hmm. like I had to force myself to read it I guess sometimes I like until it gets going I have to force myself to read a little bit I didn't really feel that way after like I don't know 30 pages I agree and I got used to the footnotes pretty quickly yeah 
Um, okay, I'm trying to find my research this week. <laughs> what did you research besides pigs? Okay, that wasn't my re- that was just random. That was just my footnote <laughs> research. So I went down this whole rabbit hole around this idea of the impact of it never getting dark. Ooh. And like about like what would happen to us if we never like our circadian rhythms would be all thrown off. Yes, that's how it started. Yeah. That was like really I wanted to find out how does your body react when you're like to, you're never allowed to go dark or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> okay, I don't know if I've told you this before. I I'm not a very good sleeper. Like I can't sleep through the night very like I just I have a lot of tr- I like don't sleep very well and I don't sleep very much. So, I've been mm-hmm. wanting to do this for a while, but I'm like fascinated by sleep studies. Mm-hmm. My sister did one. Oh, really? Yeah. I want to ask her all about it. So I, so I, this is like my excuse to like research a bunch of like sleep disorders and sleep studies and like what you can expect if you go to one. And then I went on this side tangent about jet lag and how you can avoid it. So that's like the practical piece of my research, I guess. But, but yeah, so your internal clock is influenced by a lot of different things like temperature, light, mm-hmm. um, different things are like released in your body at different times because of all of this stuff. But one interesting thing is even though we have a 24 hour day, most people's internal rhythm is actually like 25 hours. Oh. And then I was, I don't know. I just, I was like going down all these weird rabbit holes and like when you should time your shower and baths for better sleep. <laughs> so like if you take a bath or shower 90 minutes before going to bed, it'll help you fall asleep on average 10 minutes sooner than normal. Oh. And if you want to improve your sleep quality, your water temperature should be between 104 and 109 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. These are, again, practical tips I learned. But, um... I mean, why not try them? Can't hurt. I know, right? Um... Okay, so some people have a tendency to go to bed early and wake up early, and some people have a tendency to stay up late and wake up later, you know, night owl or early morning bird thing. Mm -hmm. Like, their bodies work slightly differently based on when they release certain hormones or whatever. But there's also some people who have sleeping disorders I was reading about. So there's advanced sleep phase disorder, which affects 1% of adults um, and more people as you get older. But that's where people go to bed really early and wake up really early. And not just, like, on the early side of normal, but, like, abnormally early so people with this will usually try to go to sleep between 6 and 9 p.m they said which made me nervous because I feel like 9 p.m isn't that early I know (laughs) um but then they'll wake up between 1 and 5 a.m oh my gosh but then usually when they sleep they sleep really well so it's just that they're like shifted pretty early it's not that they like have trouble sleeping but I can't imagine waking up at 1 a.m regularly and then on the flip side there's delayed sleep phase syndrome, which is more common. They say 15% of adults and teenagers supposedly have it, and that's kind of the opposite. So people will stay up until like 1 a.m. to 4 a.m. and wake up between 8 a.m. to 11 a.m., which is like totally that's me. That's like not any sleep at all. So they just don't need as much sleep? Well, I mean, I think, so if you say on, on that, like if you're on the 1 a.m., maybe you're on the 8 a.m., and if you're on the 4 a.m., maybe you're on the 11 a.m., so you're still getting like oh. seven hours or whatever. There are some people though who don't need that much sleep though, who can get by with like four or five hours of sleep and can function normally. True. And I think it's like super, super rare though. A lot of people like think they can, but they actually are like doing more harm than than good. Oh, okay. But I think there is like, especially in that like six to nine hour, six to 10 hour range, like mm. It's pretty common to be anywhere in that range. Like, some people can do six hours and be great, and some people, like, if they get eight hours, are still exhausted and they need nine or ten, you know? Yeah. But um, I was reading about jet lag. A big reason why jet lag affects your body so much is because of 
the light. So it's not just that like the clock changes time. It's not like as much mental as you might think. It's It has like a lot to do with light. And I was reading this whole thing about how you can use sunlight to basically using light exposure is one of the best ways to prevent hmm. jet lag, which I had never heard before. I'd heard like try to sleep on the plane yeah. or, you know, like stuff like that. But here's how you can calculate when to seek and avoid light depending on the number of time zones you're crossing and the direction of travel. Okay. So first you need to estimate when your body temperature reaches its minimum. <laughs> how do you do that? So if you sleep seven or fewer hours per night, assume this is two hours before your usual wake time. And if you sleep more than seven hours a night, assume this is three hours before your usual wake time. Okay. So let's say we get eight hours of sleep and we wake up at 7 a.m. We're going to say 4 a.m. is our low body temperature. Hmm. Then to determine whether you need to advance or delay your circadian rhythm. So if you're flying east, like L.A. to New York, going to a later time zone, you'll want to do an advance. And if you're flying west, you'll need to do a phase delay. So if you're going, if you need to do a phase advance, you need to avoid light for four hours before your body temperature minimum and seek light for four hours after it. Hmm. Otherwise, you should do the opposite. So if you're going to a phase delay, you should seek out light for four hours before your body temperature minimum and avoid light for four hours after it. Then you shift your estimated body temperature minimum by one hour earlier per day if you're phase advancing or one and a half hours later per day if you're phase delaying. Wow. This is a lot of calculation. Yeah, there's like um, <laughs> web websites. You don't have to like, you can um, have it calculate. You say, I'm flying from this city to that city. Okay. And here's the dates and times. And I usually <laughs> sleep in this time range. So how do I shift my schedule? And it can give you a jet lag plan. <laughs> but it's like supposed to be really um, effective. And so, but you might ask like, what do I do if I need to see? So if you're trying yeah. to like get ahead of it, like a few days before. So obviously sunlight is the best way to seek sunlight, just going outside and being in the sunlight, but you can also use a portable light box. Mm. And if you need to avoid sunlight, you should stay indoors or wear dark sunglasses. Mm. Or like an eye mask, except you'll be blind. Yeah. So that was interesting. It does, it seems like a lot of work, especially because I do a lot of like weekend trips that are two or three hours off and I don't know if I could do all that work, but it was interesting to read about how impactful it is compared to some other things. And um, it has a lot to do with light. Okay. Maybe I'll try that when I go to Japan next year. I'll report back. <laughs> I'll send you a whole sleep schedule for three days beforehand and you can... <laughs> Please do that. Calculate it all for me so I don't have to do it myself. Um, have you heard of Two Sleeps? I think I've read about this I don't think somewhere. we talked about this in the podcast yet, but I've talked about this like with friends before because when you were talking about how like sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night um, or don't sleep, sleep all the way through the night, I remember reading something about how like back in the day, like before there was electricity and people relied on the sun to get up and, and go to bed, it was really standard for humans to have what was called two sleeps. So like you'd go to bed essentially when it got dark because candles were expensive if you were, you know, a peasant like we would have been. Um, I would have married rich. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so they would have gone to bed early, and then naturally they would have woken up around like two or three, two or three in the morning, right? Because their bodies just naturally like had a period mm-hmm. of wakefulness, and then uh, oftentimes people would spend an hour or two awake in the middle of the night, and then they'd have their second sleep, like around five or so, and then they would sleep or maybe four. I don't know. And then they would sleep until dawn. Yeah. If you read any um, older texts, like I think Chaucer mentioned it in the Canterbury Tales, 
but they talk about like getting two sleeps and they said that the period of wakefulness um a lot of times people used it for reading or prayer or writing and it was said to be a time of really intense creativity oh i love it yeah it's like that period of wakefulness between your two sleeps is like something about it like really heightens your creativity so a lot of people used it for writing um or thinking or like coming up with ideas um which i thought was fascinating some people also used it for sex they said like they would just wake (laughs) up and like hey we're awake let's have sex but i thought that was fascinating that that's like actually more natural for humans to have two sleeps rather than one period of like extended sleeping well, it was interesting, too, because I was reading about, so obviously, you know, like, as you go really far north or really far south to, towards the poles, you get longer days in the summer and shorter days in the winter or whatever. Mm-hmm. And because of how society has developed, we still have, like, the same work day no matter what. But really, like, natural rhythms in those areas and, like, the olden days and stuff and, like, if they were following their natural rhythm, they'd have like more active days when it's light out and less active days when it's dark out kind of thing. Like, so it is, it's just interesting, like how you don't really think about how much light does. And then even like what, how your body interprets it. Like there's all these like biological processes around sleep and around light that get like triggered by light. So it's not just even like the mental aspect of, oh, it's daytime. So I should be awake or, oh, it's dark out. I should be asleep. It's like biological processes. It's fascinating. Think about these poor people in Nevernight. (laughs) Yeah. They're all sorts of messed up. Well, and they, one of the footnotes, at least, was talking about so, like some of the people who are like going crazy because of it. And they did say you're more likely to have like um, bipolar people. One of the studies I was reading about have like more manic episodes in the springtime because there's more sunlight oh. and um, certain other conditions related to depressive states have more depressive states during the winter and things like that. So, it, I mean, it's just it's kind Whoa. of fascinating. And I really want to do a sleep study now, although. I'm nervous about it, too. I just think it would be hard to sleep, quote-unquote, normally in that kind of situation. With electrodes all over you and someone watching you and not in your own bed. And reading your brain. Yeah. I read all these things. It's like, don't worry, you can wear your own pajamas. And I'm like, I would hope so. Thank God. (laughs) Like, that wasn't the one thing I was worried about. (laughs) But they also said you don't actually have to sleep that long for the them to get a good like you don't have to sleep as well as you normally would so um they do usually start between 8 and 10 p.m and end between like 6 and 8 a.m and so they like to have you there for nine hours and hope that you get at least seven hours of sleep but they get like so much data from a small amount of time and they can even pick up certain oh that's cool like especially if you have like sleep apnea it might happen in a short period of time i've i've been talking about it for years someday i'll get (laughs) get on it Well, if you do it, let me know. Anyways, I'm rambling. What did you research? Did you find it? I did. Um, Okay, so I was fascinated by Miss Spider Kill. Oh, yeah. Poison Lady. Yeah. And poison. I know. And I feel like we've researched poison so many times for different books, but... I, I went there one more time. There's so much there. I feel like, yeah, there's there's still plenty more to uh, delve into. So I started researching poison trials. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've heard about them. No. Well, <laughs> by like the late Middle Ages, poison was becoming, I, I don't want to say poison was becoming all the rage, but it was becoming <laughs> something that people were increasingly concerned about because uh-huh. um, especially with like, the plague that happened in the the middle ages um the idea of toxicity was something that was like 
really on a lot of people's minds. And so the idea of like an antidote or like a cure-all um, was something that people were, were really all of a sudden very interested in finding. And in order to find an antidote, you have to have people to test it on. So I was researching about how in the second half of the 16th century, it became very common to have poison trials in order to test the like eff- efficacy of different antidotes. So who got tested on? Well, <laughs> what they did was they would test it on people who were being held for certain crimes. The one that I read about was there were two Corsican prisoners named Gianfresco and no, Gianfrancesco and Ambrogio. And they had been condemned to die by beheading. And instead of killing them, they decided to test this new oil that was developed by this uh, Bolognese surgeon. Um, I studied abroad in Bologna, fun fact. <laughs> um, and his name was Gregorio Caravita. And this was in um, 1524. So there was like this new antidote that came out by this by this Bolognese surgeon. It was an oil that was said to like cure plague patients. And um, he, he basically touted it as like a cure-all for just about anything you want. Um, he said it could combat all poison wonderfully. Um, and mm-hmm. all you had to do was like apply the oil and apparently you were cured of whatever you had. So Sounds like a get-rich-quick scheme if I ever I know. Um, so what they did was these two prisoners were given a dose of wolfsbane. Then one was treated with the oil and the other one was left to die without any, res- any remedy. And what happened was the prisoner given the antidote survived and the other one died. So if you survive, do you still get beheaded or is that like your trade-off? You get experimented on, but you may not die. Um, that is actually a little different because there were trials where they, like, to prove your innocence, they would dose you with, like, a poison and then, like, give you an antidote, and that was kind of a little bit different because that was, like, that was, like, like the witch trials where they're like, mm-hmm. oh, we'll throw you in the water, and if you sink, you were innocent, but oh, well, you're already dead, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so they did do that. But in this case, they just, like, they were already condemned, so they were like, well, let's have an experiment and see if we can prove that this antidote works. So so that guy was poisoned, brought back, or not brought back to life, but saved and then beheaded? That is a really good question. Oh, yes, okay, so what happened was after anointing both prisoners' temples, the pulse points in their arms and legs and the area around their hearts, um, the one who didn't get the treatment died from he just died horrifically he died vomiting it says and had pains of the heart but the one who did receive the treatment he said they said he eventually returned to his full health and the pope allowed him to live okay i wonder who got to decide who got the treatment and who very didn't. good question i have no idea but i think they, they said that poison trials you know as inhumane as they were they used it often to you know test certain remedies that people came up with well, it's interesting, too. It's obviously not great, but at least they were trying to do some tests. Yeah, they were trying to come up with it to help people. Yeah, and they were te- they realized they had to, like, test it out on before they just, like, were like, I think this will work. Good luck. Yeah. I don't know, but... It's like the first human trials, really. Yeah. 
But, I mean, it would be really nice if people would volunteer for this stuff, obviously. Yeah. I guess you volunteer by committing a crime and getting caught. Yep. <laughs> and who knows what they did, you know? I mean... If you're a bad idiot... No, I'm just kidding. Because I'm sure nobody got put in jail for something they didn't do or didn't deserve back then. Of course not. Not during the <laughs> 1500s. <laughs> that is interesting, though. Well, uh, with all the uh, various research things we've been doing about poison... We should be able to pass the spider poison trials, don't you think? Oh, we should be able to come up with an antidote? Yeah. By the end of this podcast, <laughs> however many seasons we do, we are going to know a lot about poison and we could become assassins. Do you feel comfortable testing your own antidote, though? <laughs> I mean, at this point, no. We'll um, see how we feel at the end of the series. Really applying any of my research in real life, I'm a little bit iffy on <laughs> Maybe I'll try the sleep one, though. I'll try the... Yeah, the jet lag. The jet lag one, yeah. That's about as far as I'll go. But, yeah, okay, that was my research. <laughs> no, that's, that, that is interesting. Is there anything else that we want to talk about in this first half of the book? I don't know. Any other predictions? I guess the best prediction is the blades, and now I'm regretting saying I don't think Mia's going to be one. <laughs> well, I don't know, because it's interesting, because we still have three books. Yeah, maybe it's too early yet to be making predictions. Well, it's just, it gets, well, I guess the problem was I thought that in Three Dark Crowns we'd, like, have the queen trial right away, and we didn't, so maybe I'm completely (laughs) wrong. But I'm kind of, if I had to guess right now, I would think that we at least, we get blades at the end of this book is where I'm thinking we'll go. Yeah. But maybe not. Um, Maybe that'll be the end of book three. Who knows? Do we think she'll get revenge on these people? Okay, well, so part of what I think, which I guess would mean she would have to be a blade, is because she's not really political right now, that when she gets to a point where she thinks she can go just, like, get her revenge, she gets pulled into something else that maybe Mm. she's not 100% convinced by. Yeah, or maybe she finds out that her father was, like, really a bad guy and she shouldn't be getting revenge for him. Well, I'm also just curious in general what the Red Church's goal is. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I get yeah. why she's there. She wants to learn to be an assassin. But it also sounds like you kind of sign your life over to this group. Which doesn't seem great. Yeah. It's like a big pyramid scheme, almost. It's a cult, yeah. really. Yeah, it, it is. But are they the good cult or the bad? Or, like, again, I'm not even... Is I'm not there a conv- good cult? <laughs> okay. Well, maybe that's the wrong phrasing. But if... Again, I'm not sure if the current government is good or bad. So I don't know. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm still not sure who the good guys are. Maybe there are no good guys. Maybe it's just a whole book of anti-heroes. That's, that's Which fair. I'd be fine with. Yeah. In fact, I might actually believe that more. And maybe that would be mm-hmm. refreshing. Everyone's power hungry. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, do you want to end on a with, a with a dad joke, as we always do? Yes, please. Do you have one for me? Yes, I do. And it's slightly dirty, just because this book is, like, a little bit more adult. So my joke is a little bit more adult. <laughs> this is a new adult podcast. Book, <laughs> joke, episode, all around. It's the mature version. Should we just both say a swear word out loud? (laughs) Just get it out of our system. (laughs) Just kidding. Go on. Okay. What do you call an iguana that thinks it's a dog? I don't even have a guess, let alone a dirty guess. I don't know. What do you call it? A reptile dysfunction. (laughs) (laughs) It's not even that dirty. (laughs) Oh, man. It's like the cleanest dirty joke ever. That's silly. It's so pure on this podcast. Well, the funny thing was when you said, do you want me to tell you a dad joke? It's a little dirty. I was just trying to imagine my dad, like how you combine oh, dad joke and yeah. dirty joke because those <laughs> seem like contradictory It doesn't things. seem to go together. It's like the exact opposite. No, that but that one kind of worked. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. If you guys want to get in touch and tell us about 
your sleep schedules, if you've done a sleep study, <laughs> if you've ever tested an antidote against yourself. Um, we don't advise that for the record. <laughs> if you know any more fun facts about pigs, um, you can feel free to email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook or Instagram at mnktalkya. We would love to hear from you. And we are going to go finish the rest of Nevernight for next week. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.